Welcome back to What's the Point of the Midrash, the weekly podcast where we take a look at a rabbinic text and offer suggestions to answer the question, what's the point of the Midrash? Before we get to the Midrash, I want to acknowledge that last week, um, by the holiday of uh, Shemini Atzeret, my teacher, Rabbi Moshe David Tendler, passed away. I was in his class for two and a half years, most of my time as an undergraduate at YU, learned an immense amount from him, as one could imagine or hope from being in a class for that long. But the reason why I'm mentioning it now is because this entire Midrash project is entirely because of him. I may have mentioned at the introduction um, last year when I redid this series that I blatantly stole this what's the point of the Midrash idea from him. It's what I would teach when I was at the Stanton Street Shul because I would hear of Tendler do this every single week on Thursdays, um, the end of the week in the YU schedule, uh, where he was very insistent that a lot of these things in the Midrashim should be obvious, and there's a point that they're trying to get across if you actually spend a little bit of time and pay attention, which not many people do. You have some people who take everything literally. You have other people who take things figuratively, once an analogy to something else. And Avtelim was very insistent that Chazal, the sages, were real people who were speaking to real people. And they were trying to convey certain bits of information, I guess, to the people in a way that they'd be receptive to. We may not be receptive to it because, you know, they're not facing us directly, but there was going to be some point of why they would give the teaching that they did, and he would spend a lot of time trying to figure those out. And that approach was really profoundly influential on me um, throughout my entire life, both personal and professional. So with that, I would like to dedicate this week and I suppose every subsequent week, Lezecha Nishmat, my teacher, Rabbi Moshe David Tendler, without whom none of this, I would not be doing any of this, uh, probably... I don't want to say I wouldn't have been a rabbi or gone into smicha, but certainly would not have been a good of a rabbi as I was. Uh, if you didn't think I was a good rabbi, just imagine me being worse. Um, but there was an immense amount that I learned from Ruf Tendler, not just in terms of knowledge, but an overall approach uh, to text and to life and to people and how do you be a Rav and what does it mean, you know, not just to know a lot of information, but how do you communicate that information and interact with people in a way that you can effectively spread Torah to others. And now on to the Midrash. This week, we are discussing Genesis Rabbah, Bereshit Rabbah 32.3 that contains two seemingly disparate ideas that maybe we'll be able to find some way of figuring out a common theme between them. It begins with a discussion of Tehillim of Psalms 11.5 that says, Hashem Tzadik Yivchan, where God seeks out or tests the righteous, the Rasha, the Ohev Hamas, but the wicked or the one who loves injustice, Sona'anaf show. God hates his soul. And on this verse, Rabbi Yonatan states, Hayotzer Hazeh Eno Bodek Kankanim Miroaim, that a potter doesn't test uh, defective vessels. She'eno must speak Lakush Alehem Achat 
Ad Shehushovram, because you can't give them a single blow without breaking them. Umihu bodek bekan kanim yafim, afilu mekish alehem kama pa'alim, kama pa'amim, excuse me, enam nishbarim. But rather he tests the strong vessels, because even if you hit them many times, they're not going to break. Kach, so too, God does not test the wicked, but rather, he only tests the righteous. As it says in this verse, uh, that God tests the righteous. And it also says, now citing from Genesis 22.1, Valokim Nisat Avram, that God tests Abraham, or God was, uh, tested Abraham. That comes a whole lot later, of course, regarding the Akedah, regarding the sacrifice or attempted sacrifice of his son Isaac, nothing to do with Noah. But back to Rabbi Yonatan's statement here, that God only tests the righteous because they're the ones who can withstand the tests, as opposed to the wicked, where just like you've got a vessel that you hit it once and it breaks, you test the wicked once, boom, they're gone. Of course, one can ask, well, why does God need to test anyone? Meaning, what's the purpose of even testing the righteous? Just let them, let everyone live and let live. And uh, if anyone remembers the uh, line from Fiddler on the Roof about the Jews being God's chosen people, and can he choose someone else once in a while? You can say the same thing about the righteous. Like, yeah, sure, you can withstand it, but why bother? Rav Yossi ben Hanina, in the next opinion in the Midrash, has a similar uh, idea or similar point, but with a slightly more positive spin, where instead of comparing it to vessels that can easily break, uh, he compares it to a flax worker. That when a flax worker knows that his flax is of good quality, the more he hits it, the more it improves and the more it glistens. But if it's inferior quality, you hit it once and it splits. I've never worked with flax. I don't know if this is true. But here he uses the same verse and gives a similar analogy, but with a little bit more of a positive spin to it, which is that by hitting the flax, it becomes better, improves, and looks nicer. So too, testing the righteous in this analogy has a positive effect to it, meaning it's not just, oh, we're testing it to see like, ha, ah, you know, we can. There's some aspect of growth behind it or some benefit such that it's not just out of vindictiveness or God just playing dice with people's lives because he wants to see what happens. There's a third opinion from Rebellia Alazar, who gives the analogy of someone who has two cows, one strong, one weak. On whom does he put the yoke? Al mi hu no ta'ol. It's surely going to be on the stronger one. Similarly, God doesn't test anyone but the righteous. 
as I understand the analogy, uh, here it's a slightly different variation. Whereas Rav Yosef Barchanina says, well, if you hit the flax, it gets better, and therefore you're only going to hit it on the better ones. Rav Lazar says, no, there's actually more of a teleological purpose to this, where it's not just for the good of the entity, but rather it accomplishes a need uh, in some way. So you look at the analogy of a cow or an ox that is you put a yoke on, you put the yoke on either to help, say, with farming or to help carry things. There's a purpose that it serves. And here, Revelazar's analogy, I think, shows that he understands testing to have a purpose to it. And you're only going to accomplish this goal by testing those who can meet the test and can shoulder that burden, because you're not going to do it on the ones who can't. And what I find fascinating about these three opinions is that on the surface level, they're all saying the same key point, I suppose, of something that we might even consider cliche today, that God doesn't test you unless you can handle it. And all three opinions, Rav Yonatan, Rav Yosef ben Hanin, and Rav Elazar, all seem to be saying the same thing. But through the analogies that they provide, they're also showing a different approach to what testing is, or what is the purpose of testing. You have Rav Yonatan, whose approach is, well, I'm just testing you to make sure that, you know, this is fine. And the more you hit it, the more you're going to keep testing it because you know it's not going to break. Uh, Rav Yosef Benchanina is a little bit more positive from the perspective of the tzaddik, of the righteous, that it's for the righteous's personal growth. And for Rav Lazar, by giving the analogy to an ox and a yoke, there's a deeper purpose to the testing of the righteous that they're supposed to accomplish something or having been tested and hopefully uh, passing the test, they're able to go and create something new or do something better with that to the point where this is actually a necessity for the future or I guess the continuation of the world. That I think is interesting enough, you know, maybe able to stop there and call it a day. The Midrash though continues completely shifting gears, where it has an opinion in the name of Ravi Elazar ben Azaria, uh, who says, Matsinu sha'omrim miktsat shivchoshel adam befanav, v'chulo shelo befanav, that you say part of a person's praise is in front of him, and all of it not in front of him. Shekain hu omer benoach, so just like by Noach, it says at the beginning of this week's Parsha in Genesis 6-9, ish tzaddik tamim haya, when it wasn't in front of him, um, meaning it wasn't spoken to him directly, it says uh, you, he was a righteous person, uh, he was pure, complete in his generation, that that wasn't in front of him. But to him directly, it says, Ki ra'iti tzaddik lefanai, uh, that you are the, um, that you I have seen to be righteous in front of me, meaning he gets half of the praise. He is, when uh, God's not speaking to him directly, uh, talking about him, he's called tzaddik tamim hayabedorotav. He was considered righteous and pure in his generation. But when God addresses him directly, he says, oh, he's a tzaddik, which means you cut off, in this case, half of the praises given to him. Um, interesting uh, to note that this midrash is stated in the Babylonian Talmud in Erevin 18b in the name of Rabbi Yirmiya ben Elazar. 
I haven't done the uh, Gearsa, the variant checks to see which one may be more correct, but I wanted to mention that out that you will find this in the Babylonian Talmud in someone else's name. Um, at any rate, it's the same Derasha where in front of a person, you say only partial of the praise, but you say more praise, not in that person's presence. Uh, Reb Eliezer, Benoshel Reb Yossi Haglili, Reb Eliezer, the son of Yossi Haglili, has the same message about Miktzat uh, Shivcho of only praising someone partially in front of them, but in this case, it actually applies to God. Bifanav, in front of God, uh, from Psalms 66.3, Imru lelokim mano rama saying to God, how great are your works? Shalom bifanav, but not addressing God directly. It says, hodul Hashem kitov ki olam chasto. Give thanks to the Lord God, for he is good. His love or kindness endures forever. This last part leads to some interesting questions about if God is really everywhere, are you ever not really addressing God, or is God not really paying attention? I also want to point out that praising other people isn't always necessarily a good thing, not in front of them, in front of other people. You have an opinion of Rav Dimi, the brother of Rav Safra in Bava Batro 164b, uh, who says, Le'olam al yisaper adam betovato shel chavero, shemitoch tovato ra'ato. A person should not speak the praises of another, as out of the praise spoken about him, someone may come to speak his detriment. Think about if you ever have someone you respect and you praise for how great they are, someone else comes along and say, eh, that person was not so great. Unfortunately, it happens a lot, particularly on social media. But that aside, in this Midrash uh, that we have in Brashant Rabbah 32.3, we seem to have two completely separate teachings. One is about God testing the righteous specifically and not the wicked. And the other is you're not supposed to praise someone excessively to them, or rather, you give their full praises not in front of them and only partial praises to their face. And I think there may be a connection between these two along the lines of Urban Gamliel's statement from Avot 2.4 of Alta Amin Ba'atzmecha Ad Yomotecha, don't have faith in yourself until the day you die where if someone gives you a full list of compliments, it's very easy for someone to say rest on their laurels. Whereas, you know, if you dial it back a bit, someone, you know, can say, okay, well, I'm doing all right, that there still is a whole lot more to go. Uh, I don't think that righteousness is necessarily permanent quality. You've got people who do good and people who do bad, and whether or not someone is righteous or not is ultimately dependent on their actions as opposed to some innate character status you have. Uh, even though the Midrash uh, said otherwise at the beginning, which seems to imply that he tests only the righteous, but of course you test the righteous too much, they could invariably turn wicked. And I think trying to find that middle ground of having enough confidence in yourself where you know you're not supposed to view yourself as a rasha as someone who's wicked but at the same time if you're going to give someone too many compliments it's very easy for them to go soft and to think okay i've made it obviously this may depend on the disposition and the personality of the person involved. Some people have really debilitating low self-esteem and they really need those pick-me-ups and they need that in order to keep them going. Others, well, they think they make it, 
they don't need to do anymore and they don't need to test themselves anymore. Um, so why bother? Of course, others will think, well, if I'm that good, I can now test myself even more. But of course, if you're not actually at that level and you try overstanding yourself and go, you know, it's one thing to push yourself a little bit more, which on one hand you could say is fine but if you do too much or too much too quickly you can injure yourself both in the physical uh, arena and in the spiritual arena as well anyway these are some of my thoughts but i would love to hear yours what do you think is the point of this midrash please feel free to reach out to me on twitter my handle is at jayuter you can find me on facebook or send me an email via my website www.joshuter.com thank you for listening have a great week and a wonderful shabbat <music>